Guys, I don't, I don't normally come up here on fire like that, but uh, yeah, today's going to be a special day, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. So I want to add my thanks uh, to, to dads or my honoring of dads, just like Steve did. Um, you know, if you're a dad and you're, you're here at church, uh, and, or if you're watching from home, and, if, and kids, if you're here, which actually we only have some kids here this morning, kids, I want you to get up and I want you to give your dad a hug right now, okay? And if you're watching from home, get off the couch, go give your dad a hug and say happy Father's Day to him. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm glad we've got a few kids here this morning. Well, last week, if you were here, there was an interesting message between Ed and myself where you pretty much learned that Ed and me are the same person, right? No, that's not true at all. But we tried to get you to understand sameness versus unity. But when I show you the title this morning, you'll know that Ed is rubbing off on me because I don't normally come up with titles this creative. But the title this morning is Scotch on the Rocks. So I thought that was an appropriate title for Father's Day. Like, you know, maybe you enjoy some scotch on the rocks. Like, nothing wrong with that. Just don't do it to excess, right? But if you were here for Mother's Day, I shared a really emotional message for me. I shared about my mom. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back, listen to that message. Not just because I got emotional, but because it was powerful about how God understands us. And you know what? Today's going to be another message. I don't know if it'll be a tearjerker like that one was or not. I, I told a story about my mom and story of my oldest sister who was in a cult for more than 20 years. And she had disowned our family and how God rescued her. But today I want to share a little bit about my dad. As I go through the message, I'm just going to kind of weave some, some thoughts and some stories that I remember. But, you know, talking about my dad, frankly, is a little harder than talking about my mom because my dad died 42 years ago. That's a long time. It's a lifetime ago. I was 17 at the time. So there's not much I remember. But it's interesting, as I was considering this message, I don't know why this memory, Scotch on the Rocks, came to my mind. I was actually going for a run, praying as I'm running, and and God just brought that to my mind. And I think there's something here for all of us. But, you know, if you're like me today, where maybe your dad passed away a long time ago, maybe he passed away recently, maybe you don't know who your dad was, Maybe, maybe you're here and, like, your dad was not a good person. We don't honor fathers just for their performance. We honor fathers for their position in life. Right? And, and I can say of my dad, just because of his position, Dad, thank you. You gave me life. I'm glad I'm here today. Right? So, so we, honor, we honor dads. But I guess I would describe my dad to start off as he was a man's man. He was focused. He was driven. He went to flight school in the Army. And then he volunteered to go over and, and fly combat. But they said, no, we need you to be a flight instructor. And he's like, okay. All right, I guess if you need me to be a flight instructor. So there was something about him that they saw at, a, at that young time in his life that they made him a flight instructor. And he, he did his tour of, of, of being in the Army. And he gets out and he goes to a wedding reception and he meets this beautiful lady that was my mom. And he asks her out right there. And they, they dated for a while and they got married right after college. My mom was a, a French teacher but just for a short time because they got pregnant soon after that and she decided to stay home with, with their first child. And my dad went back to school to uh, ultimately get his PhD in aeronautical engineering. So the whole time that they were, were together, well, I'll, I'll get to that story in a little bit. Let me just say this. 
it's no wonder that my dad was an engineer and all four of his boys decided to go into engineering, right? How, how do you figure? My mom was a French teacher. Three out of my four sisters are teachers, right? So it's interesting to see how sometimes where we are as parents, we, things get passed down to us as kids. But this morning, I want to I start off, and we're, we're really going to camp out in just two verses today. It's Joshua 24, 14, and 15. So let's read it together. It says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in, the land in whose land you live now? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for these words that Joshua uh, lived, these words that he penned, God. Lord, I, I know that these words are, are life to us, Father, because they were given by your Holy Spirit to Joshua. So, Lord, as we look into your word today, may it be alive, may it be active. Lord, may it pierce each one of us and change us, God. We don't want to just read your words academically, God. We want to be changed by them. So, Holy Spirit, come into each of our hearts. We invite you to show us your word, to illuminate your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, it really tells the story of Joshua's life, right? Joshua had big shoes to fill. He was coming on the heels of Moses, and, and Moses was the person that, that, as I said before, was the I am. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses was the one who stretched out his staff and the Red Sea parts and all of Israel, like a million people walk across the Red Sea on dry land. Imagine that. We, we've seen protests. Imagine how wide the dry land must have been in the middle of the Red Sea for all the Israelites to get across. That, that just blows me away. But Joshua is coming on the heels of Moses. And see, Moses was to lead the people to the promised land. But God said, one thing before you go, I want you to send 12 spies. And, and I want them to go in and spy out the land and come back and give their report. So the 12 spies go in and they all come back with one consistent message. And the message was this. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back some of the fruit like the grapes were huge. And it was just an amazing land of wealth. So that's where they were, were united. Where they were not united was two men. Two spies came back, Caleb and Joshua. And they said, we can do this. Like, we can take this land. God has given it to us. He's faithful. We've seen all the things that he's done, taking us through the Red Sea, rescuing us from the Egyptians. We've got this land. And the other 10 spies said, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land. Like, there are fortified cities. These people know what to do. They're warriors. Like, there's no way that we can take this land. And the ten, says this, the 10 spies said this in Numbers 13, 33. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. I thought, wow. Isn't it interesting how a lot of times how we see ourselves is how other people see ourselves too, see us too, right? We looked at grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. You know, if I, if I think about my dad, my dad was a hard worker, and that's probably one of the things that I've taken most from him is a very strong work ethic. And, you know, I've told you stories before about how my dad was kind of that taskmaster on Saturdays. We had to do chores and, and I had to stand with him. I'm not going to go back there today. But I'll tell you, 
something clicked in my mind as I was remembering those times and thinking that he was a former army lieutenant. Okay, now maybe that makes more sense to me. Like I had kind of forgotten the fact that he was in the army because I wasn't around during those days. But the truth is this, as the youngest of eight, I enjoyed the easy years, as my older brothers and sisters will remind me, right? If you've got a large family, you know when, when the oldest kids are, are there, like mom and dad, they're not making a whole lot of money, right? And, and then as time goes on, like 15 years, a lot had changed in my parents' life. So they started off living in low-cost student housing on North Brothers Island in the middle of the East River in New York, right outside the city, because my dad was going to NYU, They described where they were living as the walls were paper thin. You had to take a ferry just to get to the house. So like you want to go grocery shopping, you don't take a cab. You got to take a ferry to the mainland. They're in the middle of the East River. And and that that place is still there today. When the Bronx Project got built, and this is dating them, they were one of the first people to move into the Bronx Projects in New York. And they said that was such a huge step up from where they had lived. Now, they were brand new. It's not like they are today. But it was still such a huge step up. So going back to Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the story, because Israel believed the 10 spies and they didn't believe the two spies, right? They believed the 10 that came with a bad report. They didn't believe Caleb and Joshua. God said to all of Israel, anyone 20 and older is going to have to die in the wilderness and I'm not going to let anyone, uh, you know, it's just going to be the next generation that goes to possess the land except for Caleb and Joshua. They're going to be the ones to lead you in. And ultimately, God appointed Joshua to be that leader. So Joshua takes them into the, into the promised land, right? They fight the battle of Jericho. That's one of the first things that happened. It's just an amazing story to read in the Old Testament about the different things that happened as, as they go in. They start to get rid of enemies in the, in the land. They occupy what God has promised to them. And, and Joshua 24 starts off with Joshua, chapter 24 starts off with Joshua reminding the children of Israel all the things that God has done. So he says, God gave them victory over their enemy. God sent terror ahead of them to drive kings out. Imagine God sending terror <laughs> to, a, to a people to drive them out. Like, I don't, I don't want to experience the terror of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's what God did. And it wasn't their swords or their bows that brought them victory, Joshua said. It was the Lord that brought them victory. So let's take a deeper dive into to just these two verses, verses 14 and 15. Joshua says in in 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. So I I think about this. Who is Joshua talking to when he's saying, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly? He's talking to the same people that walked around Jericho seven times with him, right? He's talking to the people that that saw the terror of the Lord destroy their enemies. He's talking to, to the people that he's fought side by side with. Like, wouldn't they know that, of course, we've got to fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly, right? It just seems like common sense to me. Why is Joshua telling them this? And, you know, this morning, I think I'd like to encourage all of us. And you say, but Greg, we're in church. Why are you telling us to fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly? Well, Joshua told the people of Israel, and they had seen everything that God has done. I know you've seen God work. I've seen God work. But there's something important about us reminding each other. Fear the Lord. Serve him wholeheartedly, right? That's what, what Joshua said. And, and you know, when I, when I look at this, what does it look like to serve the Lord wholeheartedly? And I think back to, to my mom and dad. Anyone looking from the outside in at us growing up would say they were, they were people of faith, right? My mom and dad raised us in the church 
All eight of us would walk to church on a Sunday morning. Church was right down the road from where we lived. My dad was on the parish council, right? Okay, this is a family of faith. They're in church every Sunday. But if you had asked my dad during that time in his life, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? He'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I go to church. Because that's all he knew. And I remember when my oldest brother, Paul, left for college, right? He's about 10 years older than I am. And and I was sharing a room at that time with my two brothers that are twins. So there was three of us in a room. And I'm like, hey, you guys stay together because you can't fit in Paul's room. It's too tiny. But Paul had the room in the attic that looked over the, the driveway, right? You'd go up the attic stairs. Uh, to a, you go up the stairs to a finished attic. And right at the top of the stairs was a little, little foyer where there was just enough room for like a phone. And then to the left was the front room, very tiny, slanted roof, finished attic, right? To the right was, was a room that was the rest of the size of the house. And that was my parents' room. They had a bathroom and a sitting area. It was a, it was a nice room. But again, it was an attic room. So I took Paul's room when he went off to college. It was prized. He had such a nice desk. I got my own desk. It was just awesome. Like when, when the older kids move out, like that's what it means to be on easy street, right? You're, you're, you've got the, the run of the, the land, right? But I remember that phone call when my oldest sister called from college and told my parents, look, there's more to God than just going to church. She had found Jesus. Someone had introduced her to Jesus and faith in Jesus. And she was trying to tell my parents, see, it was a corded phone back then. You couldn't just take the cordless phone and go into the bedroom. So they're in the, that little hallway in between our two bedrooms. And they were starting to get a little bit excitable, right? Their voices were starting to get raised and it woke me up because I'm, I'm in the just one door away. But I remember when she came home and she invited them to a full gospel businessman's breakfast on Long Island, there was going to be a charismatic priest. And they were just interested. Wow, a priest is going to be speaking at this full gospel. What does that even mean? So they went to listen to the priest. And it wasn't anything he said, but they met a couple that they just happened to be sitting at their table. And this couple introduced them to what faith in Jesus looked like and what a relationship. And they said a sinner's prayer that day. And you know what? Their lives changed. It was amazing. Their, their lives changed. I told you this story about how my mom changed. Right? But now I'm going to tell you about what I saw in my dad's life. That his, I, saw, I saw his life change. So this is my first takeaway. Serving God wholeheartedly starts with knowing him. It starts with a relationship with him. Right? So, so you may be here today and you say, hey, I'm a person of faith. I'm coming to church. And you know what? I, I look out and, and I, I would believe the same thing of you. But just like my dad, going to church doesn't make you a person of faith. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a difference. And, and one of the biggest ways that we start to serve God wholeheartedly is we enter into a relationship. So, so what does that mean to be in a relationship? Greg, isn't, isn't going to church enough? I read my Bible. Isn't that all I need to do? Well, you know, being in a relationship, we, we know what relationships are about, don't we? Relationships are about commitment. And just like my sister told my parents so many years ago, there's more to God than going to church. You could be coming to church today and you could not be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's possible. You could be coming to church, you could be reading your Bible, and you've never given your life wholeheartedly over to the Lord to serve him. Right? Serving him starts with a relationship with him. It started for, for my parents recognizing that Jesus died on the cross. They knew that. They had grown up understanding that. But they never said, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. 
right? The Bible says this, if you want eternal life, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've got to surrender your life and say, no, I'm not, on the, I'm not driving the car anymore. God, you're driving the car. And when we do that in prayer and we give our lives to the Lord, that's the beginning of a relationship. That's what my parents never understood. And it sounds so simple. What? I just need to pray and give my life to the Lord? Yes, that's what, that's what you need to do. You can come to church a lifetime and not know Jesus. But the moment you pray and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. God, you died on the cross to forgive my sins. Now you're starting a wholehearted relationship with Jesus. You're starting to understand what it looks like to have a relationship. So if you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the service. We'll pray together. But let's go on and consider the second part of Joshua 24, 14. Right, he says, put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped. Again, why would Joshua tell them this? Did they bring the idols with them? Like, what, is, what does it mean, put them away? Right, they must have still had idols hanging around their houses, right? Oh, I've got, I've got the relics from my ancestors, and it's got their idols. And Joshua's like, no, no, get rid of the idols. Put away the idols forever. So when I think about what is an idol, this is what Tim Keller says in Counterfeit Gods. Idols are anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, or anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. You know, and maybe idols this morning could be ourselves, that we're just self-absorbed, right? Sometimes we can make ourselves an idol because it's all about us. Or maybe it's our security, right? The fact that, that we're secure, we've got a good job, we put a lot of stock in that, and it's all, it's all up to us to make it happen. We're self-made. It could be our security that becomes an idol. Maybe it's approval from others. Maybe it's relationships that, that we have, that we look to that approval. We look to relationships, and that's so important to us. It's more important than God. Success could be an idol. Wealth, health. We can put such a focus on being healthy that that becomes more to us than, than the Lord. Food, drink, intellect, comfort. The list goes on. Anything that becomes more important than our relationship with Jesus or that we seek to give us only what God can give us. You know, have you, ever, have you ever had that time about 9 o'clock at night? Maybe you've been watching TV and you're like, I just need something. I don't know what I need. And, and then you kind of walk over to the refrigerator. You open up the refrigerator door. You're looking at all the stuff in the refrigerator and you're like, I don't know what it is. But like nothing in there is meeting what I'm feeling right now, right? That's kind of the feeling of you're looking for something that only God can provide, right? When we have that, okay, nothing seems to satisfy here on this earth. That's what God wants to be because God satisfies everything. Think about that the next time, 9 o'clock, you're going and you're standing in front of the refrigerator, right? And you're like, what is it I want to eat? You don't want to eat anything. Maybe it's God prompting you. You need to spend some time in the Word and fill, fill up your spiritual body, right, with, with some food. But, but sometimes we're, we're looking for something. What is it? I don't know what it is. We keep seeking. We attain goals. We, we do this. There's something that's missing. What is it that we're missing? We're, we're, maybe, maybe we put something else in front of God. You know, so I titled this message Scotch on the Rocks for a reason. You might be wondering, how, how is he going to tie Scotch and the Rocks onto this? Well, that was my dad's favorite drink, was Scotch on the Rocks. That's one of the memories I have where that was his drink, right? And, and I don't remember really my parents 
as people that drank a lot, although I do remember that my mom would buy cases of wine, four gallons at a time, and there was always a carafe at the dinner table. We're Italian, right? So, so there was always wine at every meal. And then my dad had a month-long trip to Germany. Him and my wife, him and, and, uh, and my mom went off to Germany for a month on a business trip. And, you know, it was during Oktoberfest, right? So he came back with all the stories of Oktoberfest, and all of a sudden then it was not only the wine but dark beer, right? And, and he was really super into it. But the scotch on the rocks came every night. That was his nightcap. He's like, yeah, this is what helps me sleep. It helps me unwind before I go to bed. He'd have a scotch on the rocks. And I, I just... I don't know why I haven't talked about this. My kids have no idea that Scotch on the Rocks was my, was my dad's favorite drink. But somehow, why? God, this memory just came to me this week as I was praying. And I remember listening to my dad after he became a believer because he would get up and speak at different uh, churches and, and whatnot. And um, he would testify that there came a day in his life where all of a sudden he didn't need Scotch on the Rocks anymore. He didn't have any trouble sleeping. Right, Because he had put his life in the hands of Jesus. And, and there came a day where he actually poured all of his scotch down the drain. And it was just like, I don't even remember that right now. Like it's, it's been suppressed. But it, for some reason, it just came to my memory this week. Oh, yeah. So I, I called up my brothers and sisters and said, hey, did mom and dad stop drinking alcohol after that? Like I, I remember us having my aunts and uncles over for holidays and, and there would always be wine at the table. But now I'm, I'm trying to remember, after they got saved, did we still have wine at holidays? Like maybe we did, I'm not even sure. But somehow the scotch on the rocks left, there was no more wine at every meal. Like just something changed in my dad. And my sister remembered this and she told me, I remember mom and dad saying before they go to bed, we're gonna go up and get a shot of the truth before bedtime. Right? And, and they would go and they'd read the word and they'd pray before they go to bed. Right? It was, it, he, needed a shot. he didn't need scotch on the rocks anymore. He had the Holy Spirit. Right? That was something that was amazing for them. But you know, so consider what his life change looked like. Right? I, I can remember this change in my dad, but when I came to know Jesus, I was 10 years old. Right? About the worst thing that I've done in my entire life was one time I was cornered in fourth grade in the bathroom by the school bully. And I pushed him into the urinal so that I could get out of the bathroom, right? And then after school, he wanted to pick a fight with me. And I didn't know if he was tough or not. But I guess, you know, working around the house with my dad made me a little beefy as a kid. And somehow I pinned him and I knocked him to the ground and I ran all the way home. But the bully never, the bully never came after me anymore. That, that's really the worst thing I can think of that I've done. So what's my life change going to look like, right? I come to Jesus. And you know what? I, I don't know why. But for some reason, I had this, this urgency that I wanted to tell my friends about Jesus. So I'm in fifth grade. What do I do? I find my dad's old briefcase, and I get these comic books that are like tracks, right? This was your life. You might remember them. You know, Big Daddy about evolution. It's these little comic books, and you read them, and it's, it gives you the, gospels, the gospel message in a comic book. So I bought all these comic books online. I don't know if it was online. I guess you had to send away for it. We didn't have online back then. What am I saying, right? Um, so I sent away for him. I filled the briefcase. And when we had free time in fifth grade, I'd set up my, my briefcase and lay them all out underneath the table. And that was my office. And I'd invite kids to come into my office and read comic books and tell them about Jesus. Why did I do that? I have no idea why I did it. But, but God changed something in my life. It wasn't like I read in a book, hey, to be a good Christian, you got to. There was just something on the inside of me. Right? I, I took up trombone, and, and I ended up becoming really good in trombone and went to Allstate two years in, in high school. But when I took up trombone in fourth or fifth grade, 
Uh, we went to a Christian bookstore and they had bumper stickers. Remember bumper stickers were really big, Christian bumper stickers, right? So, so I got a bumper sticker that said, Jesus saves, and one that said, Christ is the answer. And I put one on one side of my trombone case and one on the other side, because I knew if I only put one on, there'd be times where I'd want to put that, that sticker against my leg and not show anybody. But if I had one on each side, like there's no way I could hide. And all throughout elementary, junior high, high school, going to Allstate, man, I had my trombone case with my two bumper stickers on it. You want to talk about conversation openers. You want to talk about getting picked on. Like, I, I had all of that, right? But, but the kids that picked on me in junior high were also the kids that would come to me privately when they had an issue saying, Greg, would you pray for me? Like, I got this thing going on, and I know, I know you know God. So would you pray for me, right? Why did God do that in my life? I, I don't know why. But life change doesn't have to just be, okay, I was on drugs or I was addicted to alcohol or I was so screwed up and then God saved me and delivered me. That's wonderful. But, but what does life change look like for someone not like that? Well, that was my life change when I was 10. But you know, life change may look like this as well. Matthew five twenty seven says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So I look at this and I'd say, okay, we've already talked that going to church isn't what God is looking for, right? He's, he's looking for a meaning relationship with each of us, a, a relationship that matters. And, and the byproduct of that relationship is a life change. It's not that we force a life change. It's just we have a relationship and then change comes. But we said before, relationships are about commitment and it's not about getting the easy way out and, and the technicality. Well, this is really okay what I'm doing because, you know, it says this or that. And no, what does it mean to serve God wholeheartedly, right? To fear him. And, and I believe as I look at this, some of us are going around and saying, okay, I see this sin in my life. I'm just going to trim the branch. And God's saying, no, you're missing the point. I don't want you to trim the branch of your sin. I want you to lay an ax to the root and just totally surrender this thing to me because you'll never serve God wholeheartedly just trying to trim the branches of your sin. It's not going to be enough. And verse 28, I think, sets it right here. Verse 28 says this, but I tell you, anyone who's looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you're like, Greg, you're saying to me, you're saying this to all the dads today and you're making us all squirm, right? I'm squirming too. But women, this is coming right at you because there's things that we all do that we think things in our mind. We've got imaginations. We've got this, right? You, you read the love novels or whatever and you imagine, oh, I wish, I wish for this. I wish for that. We all have these imaginations in our mind and God is saying anything that you imagine is more important than that's your idol, right? So what would it look like today for us to say, God, I, I want to get rid of my idols. So, so now I want to make a point. I want to ask you, can you identify this picture? Anybody know what this picture is? Wait, wait. I know these kids know. You know, you are, I know, no Karen knows. It's a, it's a what? Um. A monarch what? No, that's not a butterfly, Ted. That's a monarch caterpillar, right? And I know the Wheeler kids know monarch caterpillars because they've come to our house because my wife has gotten milkweed and, and Karen Hammett, they used to do it homeschooling and whatnot. It's awesome, right? Now, isn't that a cute little caterpillar? 
But you know what? That caterpillar isn't destined to be a caterpillar for the rest of its life, is it? What is it going to turn into? It's going to turn into a butterfly. Now, how many of us look at the butterfly and say, oh, doesn't it look just like the caterpillar? It looks nothing like the caterpillar, right? It's been what? It's been transformed. It's had a life change. It's had a life change. I don't know any butterfly that goes, oh, I wish I could go back to being a caterpillar. It was just so fun just crawling around the milkweed. No, the butterfly can fly. Like, what happens to monarch butterflies? Anybody? Where do they go? They go south. Wheeler kids, where do they go south? They go to Mexico. They've learned. All right. Did you know that? Monarch butterflies travel all the way to Mexico. Yeah, crazy, huh? But God is saying, I want you to be changed, right? If you've not experienced life change in your, in, in your Christian walk, I think it's probably worthwhile for you to question, am I just going to church? Am I just reading the Bible? Or do I really have a relationship? Because if you've got a relationship with Jesus, you're going to change. It's a byproduct. It's not that you have to try to do it. Change is going to come about. And this is what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It, it just happens naturally. If you've not experienced that change, you need to come find Jesus. You need to surrender your life to him and say, be Lord of my life, and I promise you, change will happen. Now, we don't look at the caterpillar and say, oh, I don't want to give up being a caterpillar anymore. Right? The cater- like, who thinks being a caterpillar is better than being a butterfly? Right? There's no comparison. You're the best version of yourself is the version that God has for you. And, and I find so many people that are like, oh, Greg, I don't want to be one of those holy rollers. I, I don't want to be a, a Bible thumper. Uh, I'm not asking you to be a holy roller. I'm not asking you to be a Bible thumper. I'm just asking you to start a relationship with Jesus. And where he takes you is going to be the best version of you. That's, that's all I'm saying, right? So, so this is what Romans 12, 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many of you would like to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect, right? We, we sometimes wonder, God, what is it that you have for me? He explains it to you right here. You just spend time with me and I'll lead you into all the things that I have for you. And God's version of what your life looks like is so much better than the version that you would paint, right? Don't, don't try to waste time being, being the caterpillar. Be the butterfly. So second takeaway, God wants all of our heart. He's not satisfied with us compartmentalizing. So what does it look like to compartmentalize? Right? Compartmentalizing is when I say, God, I'm going to give you three quarters of my heart. But like this one thing that I do, God, it's so good. I, I just really enjoy doing it. God, I, just don't take that from me. Right? My night out, that's my one night a week to just let loose. I, I don't want to give away my night up. I don't want to give up my night out. You know, you don't have to give up your night out. Just be consistent with how you live. Go out, but then be what God has called you to be. Reflect the nature of Jesus, right? That's all, that's all God wants is be consistent. Serve him wholeheartedly wherever you go. You might find that God changes what you do on your night out, or, or he, might, he might change the desires of your heart, but it's not for you to change him. God will do that inside of you. So that's takeaway number two. So Joshua 24 says, 15 says this, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. 
You know, if there's no life change, then I don't know that you know my Jesus. Because I don't think you can know my Jesus and not experience some kind of change in your life. And, and Joshua was compelling. He was talking to the Israelites. He was talking to people that knew the Lord. But he's like, hey, if you don't want to serve Jesus, then choose who you're going to serve. Right? Maybe you want to serve this God. Maybe you want to serve that God. But now I don't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm actually got, I'm going to quote a song right now. I really am turning into Ed Hires right? <laughs> when, when I'm going to quote a song. But do you know the Bob Dylan song? Right after Bob Dylan became a Christian, he wrote a song that said what? You got to serve somebody. Right? And, and he said this. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Right? So, so Joshua was saying, you've got to pick who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve this God? Are you going to serve that God? Are you going to serve the living God? But you know what? Pick one. And, and a lot of us today, we don't want to pick. We're like, well, I don't really want to serve the Lord. I, I'm just not going to do anything. Okay, but, but now understand what you're saying when you're saying you're not going to serve the Lord. You are picking who you're going to serve. Because this is what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And you've, yeah, who's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So if you're choosing not to serve the Lord, I'm telling you, Satan has blinded your mind. And that's, that's the one you're serving, right? You're going to have to pick one. You may serve the devil, you may serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody, Right? And Joshua was taking a stand that day that, hey, pick who you're going to serve. But you know what? If you're going to serve God, then serve him wholeheartedly. Put the idols away and, and just run after him. Like, what is more important than finding out all that Jesus has for you? There's nothing more important than that. But yet, we have idols. We still have idols. So I've decided this morning, I'm going to live for Jesus I'm going to do my best to reflect God's heart in this crazy world that we have. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to work to stay filled every day, be in his word every day, pray every day. You know what? I know I'm going to mess up. And if you know me well, you know I've messed up. I might have messed up with you. But I'm going to be man enough when I mess up to apologize. I'm going to be man enough when I get it wrong. I'm going to work harder to get it right. With God's help. So this is my last takeaway. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dads, could you say that today? Moms, could you say that today? And you see, what I saw in my dad's life was there was a change that happened when he came to know Jesus. I saw that change happen in me. It's still happening. It's not like I change and then I'm done. I want to ever be teachable before the Lord. I want to always be transformed into who, into more of his likeness, right? John the Baptist got it right when he said, I might decrease that you might increase, Lord. Actions speak louder than words, though. I don't want, I don't want you to come to church on the Sunday and tell me all the Bible verses you've read. I want to see a change in your life. And that can only happen by the reality of Jesus getting a hold of your life and you saying, God, would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? So, you know, you may be here this morning and you've got regrets. You got regrets maybe for how you've lived your life. Maybe you got regrets that, hey, Greg, I, I thought I was a believer, but there really hasn't been that life change. Maybe you got regrets for, for how your dad treated you. There's so many different things we could have regrets for t- this morning. But I want to tell you this. When you look at that last verse of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's not a backward facing verse. That's a forward facing verse. I'd encourage you to do this. Paul encourages us to lay, you know, forget what lies behind and press forward. 
right? So there may be a lot of things that you wish, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you woulda done differently. I don't, I'm not asking you about that this morning. I'm asking you, what decision will you make today and how will you live your life from this point forward? Because don't feel like you've, you've lost all your life. You still have all of your life ahead of you. But if you haven't experienced change in your life this morning, today is your day for you to say, God, would you be Lord of my life? If you've experienced change, but now you've walked away from, from God, today's your day to come back to him. And you know what? If, if you are walking hard after the Lord, my challenge to you would be serve him wholeheartedly still. Any idols you have, get rid of them. Put the ax to the root. Don't trim the branch of the idol. Just get rid of it because pressing hard after God, you will never be disappointed. You're, the, the butterfly that God has for you in your life is way better than the caterpillar you might be living right now. So let's stand today as we close. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've been praying all week for this moment that if there's something in your life and you need to do business with God, I want to give you that opportunity to do business with God. So we're going to start by praying a prayer that if you pray with me in your heart, this is what it looks like to say a sinner's prayer. We're going to start with that prayer to just commit our lives to the Lord. And then I'm going to pray for each one of us. And and if that's you today, then you raise your hands to the Lord and surrender. I'm going to pray for each one of us. God, if there's idols in my life, I want to let them go. God, would you change me? Would you allow me to serve you wholeheartedly? Because the butterfly that God has for you is way better than the caterpillar. All right, so let's pray together. If you don't know Jesus, repeat with me as we pray this prayer. Just say it in your heart. Dear Jesus, I want to I start a relationship with you. I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me on the cross. I believe that you're my Savior, and I want to make you my Lord. Jesus, would you take the wheel of my life today? I surrender my life to you to live for you, that you would live in me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer today, that's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But now you got to back it up. you got to back it up by saying, God, I want to get into your word. I want to learn how to pray. I'd love for you to come talk with me. I want to give you one of these Living in Christ books. It's not just enough to say a prayer. you got to learn how to live Live a life that's dedicated to serve God wholeheartedly. But if you're here today and you know Jesus, and maybe you're not serving him wholeheartedly, now's the time to come back to him. Now's the time to say, God, there's stuff in my life. I know your Holy Spirit's pressing on it. Why? Because my heart's beating faster. I'm thinking of this situation. God, I got to make it right. Let's make it right. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We lift up our hands to you today, God. Lord, we don't want these idols in our life. They're there, God. We're hanging on to them. Why? God, why do we hang on to them? We want to put an ax to the root today. We decide in Jesus' name that we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, we make that declaration today. Lord, we put an ax to these things that have been in our lives. God, we don't want them anymore. We surrender them to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, help us go hard after you today. Father, for the rest of our lives, that that we would serve you wholeheartedly. We would put away the idols. And God, we would encourage not only our families, but others that we will serve you alone. And we give you praise this morning. God, I ask you come for each commitment. God, I ask you come, Holy Spirit, for each person that's praying a prayer today, that they could not pray this prayer and then walk out of here without being different, Lord. So Holy Spirit, you, you do the change. We look to your power. We look to your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for watching online. If you want one of these books, come see me or email me. All right, thank you. God bless. Happy Father's.